Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, we hear the story of Carl Kazan, an accountant turned dairy farmer who left the bright lights of Dublin to return to his North Kerry dairy farm. I grew up on a small farm in a little village called Asti in North Kerry. So when I was growing up, um, we had about maybe 40 acres in the home farm. And then my father also took over a further outside farm when I was maybe uh, maybe 10, 12 years of age. There was maybe about a 200 acres on that. Um, it was a suckling farm when I was growing up. So we were keeping maybe about uh, 100 sucklers. Um, at the age of about 16, I actually left secondary school to go farming uh, full-time with my father. But after a couple of years, I kind of recognised that my father was still very young and there was no real possibility of us making a full-time living, the two of us, from the suckling farm. So in 2000, I actually decided to um, go back to college. And I'd done my leaving cert in six months from home. And I went on to CIT, where I'd done a degree in business studies. Um, from there, I ended up going to Dublin, working for uh, Bank of Ireland, where I worked in head office, and I became a chartered accountant and a chartered tech- tax advisor. And uh, while in Dublin, I actually met my wife. And when we got married in 2010, we actually moved back to Kerry. And we moved to the outside larger farm where there was a, an old farmhouse there that we renovated. So at this stage, I was actually working for Fixco down here in Kerry as a tax manager. But we had our, f- our first child, our son Tommy, at that stage, and we were expecting our second, Emily. So we decided that um, we'd look at farming as an option uh, from uh, the family point of view because I was away a lot with work and with the possibility of the farm. I wanted to see was there anything we could do where I could return to farming because I had t- taken over the farm at this stage. Um, from looking at it, uh, there was still no real possibility in beef of making full-time living, we believed. So we looked into the possibility of dairy farming. So in 2013, I successfully got some new entrant quota and I went full-time farming as a dairy farmer on the 1st of February 2013. So since then, we have built up the farm to where it is now with uh, 100 dairy cows on it, which is fully stocked. So I suppose just to, to roll back a bit, so age 16, home full-time farming. So wh- what, what length was that period uh, of full-time farming for you? Yeah, that was uh, four years. So I was 20. Uh, that's when I decided that I wanted to go back into education. It was kind of, a, I guess, a twin kind of draw almost of one there wasn't the possibility of two of us making uh, two full-time livings from the beef farm. My father was still young, as I say, he was only 50 at that stage. And the second thing was, I saw my sister was going to college and I just had an interest just to go and see, could I just do some further education myself? And in terms then of the, the I suppose, the, the farming setup, farming seems to be in your blood all of the time. Um, but then, you know, you pursued the accounting was... Was accounting ever on the cards as the only thing you would do or was there always that draw back to agriculture? I would say probably maybe in the mid-2000s for the first couple of years in Dublin. um, If you were talking to me, there probably would have been the possibility that I wasn't going to return to agriculture. But I guess I kind of settled down a little bit and was getting married and that kind of thing. The agriculture got back into my brain. That's why we kind of moved back home with the idea of taking over the farm and having a part-time beef farm along with working off-farm. But once I returned home, it just almost got stuck in me that I wanted to be a full-time farmer. And it was from then, say, from 2011 on, that we were investigating, well, how can I do this? And then the eventual jump in 2013, when I received the, um, the new entrant quota, that I went full-time farming. And, and what were the key indicators for you that, say, I won't be able to do this full-time with beef, but potentially with dairy? It was just the numbers. They just didn't make sense. Like, looking like after taking it over, say, in 2011 from my father... 
and seeing the numbers in beef like that we could turn over, I just couldn't see how we could make enough of a living, say, to pay back mortgage in the new house we'd done up and to support the family. It just wasn't big enough from a beef farm point of view. And, like, you know, there are, there are people talking about, um, you know, entering dairy, uh, you know, as new entrants. And we, we, we see from some of the co-ops they have, you know, between 10 and 20 new entrants every year. Like, talk through the, the key steps that you had to take, whether it was training, education, to put yourself in the best position, you know, to do it successfully. Yeah, I guess the, the first step I took was um, I was chatting to the local Tagus advisor back then in Listowel. It was a, a gentleman called Ned Daughton. So he was really helpful. So between the two was said that one of the first steps, of course, in the kind of financial background was I wanted to see the financials of this. So we sat down and we'd done a, a five-year plan just to see would this actually financially work. So after that, I guess, when I saw that the numbers had the possibility, then we really had to, say, discuss it seriously. Myself and my wife, was this something that we were going to change? Because it was going to be a big lifestyle change where instead of working full-time off-farm with a little bit of farming, farming was now going to be full-time. It was going to be our, our, main, our, main bread, our main source of income, let's say. So from there, I would have talked probably to a few local farmers, and then Neda also um, got me involved in the local uh, Chagas Dairy Discussion Group, even though I wasn't a dairy farmer at this stage. So... I would have gone to a few of those meetings just to kind of experience more of what was happening there. Um, I didn't do any formal education on becoming a dairy farmer, but what was a good help actually was as part of getting the um, the new entrant quota, we had to attend a number of uh, training days and it was run by, uh, I believe, a couple of advisors from Moor Park, but it actually happened in Mallow. So as part of getting the new entrant quota, you had to actually tra- or, uh, attend these days. So I, I found them very helpful. There was a lot of information in those and talk through the content of that training like was there something in particular that really stood out I suppose it was a lot like even even the basics of like introducing us to kind of like different kind of milk tests TBC termiduric what happens if they're gone a little bit high how you can control them looking at like just the kind of uh, let's say the, the production cycle of the cow and when you need to maybe go in with a little bit of feed in the in the spring is against like when maybe you're not going to make a, a return on feed during the summer uh, basic introduction to, to, to grass management. So it was a few little things like this that I found very, very helpful. And I suppose you use the word basic there, but when you're starting out, it's nearly a foreign language um, th- that you're getting used to. Um, in terms then of, um, you know, you mentioned the discussion group and, you know, were there any, you know, key areas that the discussion group were, you know, investigating that you thought mm, that that, you know, that's a, a key area for me? I think one of the biggest things I picked up from the discussion group was the fact that, let's say, we were in a local area and where we are would be, we'll call it high rainfall in our Kerry. A lot of the land would be challenging land to farm, but yet these farmers were still managing to get, say, cows out in February. So even if it was just for on-off grazing, so coming from a beef background, this wouldn't be something you would practice really because, as you can imagine, with beef cattle, it's a hassle to get them out and get them back in again. But just to learn the way that you could actually get grass into the diet by doing it on off grazing, I think that was really, really good to, to learn from the local discussion group. And starting out, you got some new entrant quota. So was, what were the numbers starting out in terms of dairy cows? Yeah, so it was 2,000 litres, or 200,000 litres was the, the new entrant quota. And then back then in Kerry, we had the possibility of leasing some milk. So the first year, I actually milked uh, 59 cows. So I didn't actually have quota to cover it all, but between lease milk and a bit of flex milk and that, I was okay for quota. Uh, in 2014, I then had 70 cows, and it was going to be a little bit tighter that year for quota. So actually, in the month of September, I put the cows on once a day, and I actually went working with BDO and Limerick, 
as their tax manager for four months. So I'd milk the cows in the morning and then go to Limerick to work for the in the for the rest of the day, let's say. And then 15, I would have been got up to, I think it was 84 cows in 2015. And then since 2016, we're up to 100 cows. And what does the farm look like today? So you're milking 100 cows. Talk through some of the stats in terms of production, grass growth, things like that. Yeah, so uh, we're growing, I suppose, about uh, just over 13, 13 and a half tonne. Um, still a little bit of work to do to, to bring up the, the indices a little bit. Uh, the pH is fairly good in the farm. Uh, from a roadway point of view and water, a lot of that was actually in place by my father, even for the beef farm. So it didn't take too much work from, from a paddock sort of putting in water. Now I put in some extra trucks and a few extra roads to make sure there was access, especially in the, in the, in the spring and the autumn. Uh, from production, the cows are averaging just over about 6,000 litres and doing in and around 500 kgs of milk solids. Um, they're a Friesen-Holstein cow, but they would be fairly fertile. So my six-week calving ratio last year, I think, was about 80, 89, 88 or 89%. From scanning this year, it should be even higher. Um, so they're, they're doing fairly well, and I kind of... When I'm looking at AI and looking at breeding, um, that's one of the big things I'll be looking at is looking at the fertility and looking at the health. So it's not just all about the production. And, and labour on the farm yourself, who else is involved? Uh, my father would be the main labour on the farm with me. So he's there, you could say, just about full time. So um, there'd be the odd time, all right, that if, uh, if I had to go away, I would try and get a bit of casual labour in to help out with the father, but he kind of looks after everything while I'm, while I'm away. And, and sorry, just to roll back in terms of production, it's a, it's a very high level of production if we compare you with the national average. What sort of feeding are you inputting there? There's about 1.1 tonne of meal has gone in. Now, as I say, my stocking rate is probably on the high side. It's about 3.3 on the milking platform. So it's something I probably have to think about is do I need to maybe even cut back the stocking rate a little bit so I can reduce the meal feeding a little bit and see will I still make re- my returns? I'm, I'm not 100% sure yet where I'll go because I just feel with the 100 cows on the block that I have, if we get a very bad year, which down here would be high rainfall is against drought, I could really be struggling. So at the moment, I, I see a bit of risk in my system there that I might actually cut back cows, maybe 10 cows, and reduce down the, the meal feeding if I can then. And I think often, you know, it's, it's a good point. Um, you know, I suppose the, the main focus would be to maybe grow more grass. And, and you know, you're, you're growing a fairly high level of grass, again, above the national average. You know, the question would be, could you push it a tonne, you know, two yeah. tonnes, um, you know, everything being right on the farm, soil fertility, infrastructure-wise. And then you need to look at, you know, sometimes reducing that stocking rate actually will yeah. give you the same level, if not slightly more profit, yeah. you know, at the lower costs. In terms of that 1.1 tonnes, is that concentrated, you know, in the shoulders? Do you find that you're housed early, you're not getting out as early? Um, well, just part of the land that actually isn't too bad where I am, even though, as I say, some of it would be challenging to be almost black ground, but some of it actually has shale rock not too far underneath it. So I usually do get the cows out in February. Now, one of the problems I have is that it's kind of on an elevated site. So when the weather is bad, it is absolutely miserable. So sometimes the ground mightn't be too bad, but it's actually just so windy and driving rain that I can't actually get the cows out. They won't actually go out for me. But um, like I was looking, because I have a Borbee audit now coming up on Friday, and I think I did about 275 days this year of outed grass like. So I'm not doing too bad for the area I'm in. But yeah, for, for the feeding, I would feed throughout the year. So in the summer, they might be getting maybe a kg, kg and a half, while I would probably front load a good bit in the spring. And in the autumn, 
I would be probably back in again then I suppose with two and a half to three kgs in the autumn that's kind of how the how the field gets spread out and I suppose looking forward like I mean you've just mentioned that you 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 know you may look at reducing stock numbers in terms of cows on the milking platform what, what are the other plans for the future um I suppose this time last year we were really looking at the possibility myself and my wife of maybe taking on a second milking platform but from where we're based in North Kerry, there isn't many kind of larger farms where you could have, say, 100, 150 cows. So you'd probably have to travel, say, an hour, an hour and a half. So when you're going doing that, then you're taking on the risk, say, let's say, of you have to employ labour and you're, say, further away from that person. So you have to give them kind of more autonomy. So we just felt that at the moment we were uncomfortable doing that. Um, Around the farm, we're kind of landlocked at the minute, and I don't see much possibility of expanding coming up. But if we were to expand, that's probably where we're more concentrated at the moment, thinking that if something comes up beside us, that we could actually expand the milking block as opposed to going out to a second milk block. We just see a bit too much risk at the moment in doing something like that. And I suppose then, you know, in terms of, um, I suppose, getting some advice for myself and, and, and farmers in general, um, you know, you're an accountant by trade, so you have, you know, a fairly strong handle or a very strong handle on, on the financial side of things. You know, what expertise are you bringing from your career in accounting that you can use um, with the dairy farm? I guess it would be on those figures that, that like, I mean, it probably kind of comes naturally to me when I see spreadsheets or I see whatever that I can understand what's going on there. Um as well as that, from the fact that uh, I was in the banking sector, say, kind of through the crisis, that there's that kind of, uh, how will I say, I'm kind of risk-averse at the moment after all that. And it's something, as I said, when we were looking last year at looking at a second block, that I just think at the minute there's a lot of kind of risk in agriculture like that, whether that would be the fact that like we've got all the challenges that are coming down the road very quickly around around climate change and how we're going to deal with those. Um, if we look at even, I know now I'd be expecting from a personal point of view, that next year should be a very good milk price year because of what's happening with the uh, African swine fever in China that, and the kind of shortage of global protein. But on the more kind of long term, um, I travelled a good bit last year and like in China, they're putting on huge amount of dairy cows. So we're kind of saying that they're probably going to become more self-sufficient as we go into the near to long term. And is the export markets that we have for our current product mix are they going to be still there? So it's just that I, I see a bit of risk, a lot. well, not I won't say a lot of risk, but a bit of risk with, say, driving on a lot of expansion at the minute in Irish dairy. I think we need maybe a couple of years of just kind of, just kind of take stock of where we are and then go again. No, I mean, I'm not saying don't expand. I mean, if you've got, if you own land and it's not fully utilised yet or if something comes up available to you right beside you or if you are somebody who is running a few units and you know exactly how to do that and another unit comes up and the numbers make sense, then I would say go, but just, for some of us, I think we just need to maybe take stock for a couple of years before we go again, let's say. And I think that's a good point. You know, um, doing business plans, any business plan will work depending on what yeah. you put in. But if it's not completely accurate, you know, if you have an elevated milk price rather than, you know, an average milk price, um, you know, it can make things look really good and any opportunity will work. It, it, then in, in terms of um, distinct tools that you use, would you look at a cash flow monthly? Would you have a big uh, focus on your profit monitor? What exact tools are you using for the financial side of the business? No, this is where probably the accountant kind of comes into that um Usually the accountants, the last set of accounts you do is your own. So for cash flows and stuff, it's usually in the head is where it happens. So I don't usually use much of those actual physical, let's say, kind of aids, which I probably should use more of. I'd probably more be concentrating on exactly what's happening in the bank account. And I would be keeping handled in of exactly what the outflows are going to be, say, in the next month or six weeks. And then kind of balancing that with what's going to be the inflow. So 
I wouldn't be doing a physical cash flow, but I would be doing a kind of a mental one month on month to see where we are. And this would be kind of driving what's going to happen on the farm. For a lot of young people, they're in the situation where they've maybe gone to ag college and worked on a farm for a few years or they're in ag college and they're going to go home directly. So you would have, um, you know, done that at a very young age and then again, you know, in your mid to late 20s. You know, have you any tips for these young people going home to work, you know, one on one with their parents? You know, what worked well for you? Um, That's a good question now. I would say from my own kind of experience and, and other people that I know that sometimes there can be bits of tension, let's say, when you come home at such a young age and your father, your mother, whoever is running the farm is also kind of young. So I guess one of the tips I would have would be to that you have gone to college and you probably have learned a lot of very valuable things there, but you still have to be kind of cognizant of who you're returning to, let's say, and maybe not just rush in with all these new ideas that it's important to kind of keep the peace and maybe, let's say, kind of introduce new ideas slowly over time, like, and to build that way. So that'd be one thing I would say for anybody who is probably returning straight from college to their own farm. That's perfect. Thank you, Carl. Thank you very much. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Carl Kassan for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey, and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.